0: morning, how are we feeling today? Are we awake today? Are right. we all right? All right, good, good. We're in a series called Practice, and as, as I mentioned last week, if you were here, you'll, I'll say it again, if you were not here, um, I'll say it for the first time. God gave us an ability to produce fruit, um, supernatural fruit, not natural fruit, but supernatural fruit when we submit to His Spirit. He said in John 15 that we can't do anything good apart from Him, Jesus said, and He, he referenced Himself as a vine and us being branches. So what we're talking about as we go through this series, Practice, where we look at spiritual disciplines, I want to liken them to the trellis that the vine holds to so that it, its life, its expanse, can make it to the branches and the fruit can be most produced. Amen? And so, so these things are necessary. And as we learned last week, for our own good, we need to deliberately create space in our week and in our minds for rest, Because we're not a culture that rests really well. We have to accept Jesus' invitation to Sabbath. It's here that he'll speak beautiful wonders and truth to us, over us. And he'll do so primarily by his word, which brings us to our second discipline. It's the one that I love to teach about. It's his scripture. It's the Bible. How can we truly know what God wants or what Jesus wants to say to us apart from the scriptures? I suggest that we cannot know those things. I suggest we can't. It is true that the Lord does choose to speak in a myriad of ways. He speaks through uh, prayer, through his church. He speaks through uh, his Holy Spirit and sovereign circumstances. But I also want to say that every one of those ways that he speaks, he will also affirm by his word. He's never going to work counter to himself. The very spirit that indwells you and I and all believers who have trust in the name of Jesus is that same spirit that inspired the text that we're, we're opening today. And so it's always going to work in unison. God is not going to work opposed to himself. The scriptures were inspired by that same Holy Spirit that indwells us. In order for us to know what he is saying, we must employ the discipline of scripture memorization and meditation. And that's our only point today. That's the only point. So I want you to stick with me here. You've got one point. We need to practice memorizing and meditating on scripture. As to embed in who we are. And first, uh, Paul said it like this to his understudy, Timothy, in 2 Timothy 3. He said this, All Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that God, the man of God may be made complete, equipped for every good work. Complete. For every good work. So, Let me let me give you a little context. We have a little history lesson here. Is that okay? Here's the context. What Paul is saying to Timothy, he's not actually referencing as scripture. When he wrote this letter, he is someone who has a deep and convicted history in Judaism. So he looks at the scriptures as the Old Testament. That's what he's saying. He's saying, use this for your instruction. It's good for rebuke, correction. So as he's writing a letter to his understudy, he's not considering the very letter he's writing as Scripture. However, he didn't have to. He didn't deem that Scripture himself. It was, fact, hundreds of years after he wrote this letter and hundreds of re- years after Jesus went on that other people at councils of Nicaea and councils of Trent, they said these things that Paul has written, these things that were written by the gospels and the disciples, these things written by James, by John, they could not be written other in any other way than inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. These are not natural sayings. This is supernatural fruit. So what, what they decided, these really educated and astute men who gathered together to canonize the scriptures. They said this is this New Testament. This is the completeness of what God has desired to give to us. So not only was Jesus' work completed on the cross for all of us. He gave us complete instruction for the New Testament church to know how to navigate truth and navigate life in a world of deceit by giving us this text. Hello? Amen. So there's a reality to the importance of it. How many of you know that the scriptures are a precious gift? How many of us have ever denied a precious gift? How many of you have ever been that kid that uh, played more with the box than the toy you begged for at Christmas? Right? There's a gift that he wants to give us. It is for our good pleasure, for completeness, and equipped for every good work. Paul goes on to say it like this, and I'm going to quote Paul a lot today. Okay, I think that I have right to because Paul moved from a very strict Semitic culture into the freedom that's found in Jesus. And the reason that we want freedom in Jesus is this. The the spiritual disciplines, I said this last week, I'll say it again, are not here to make us feel better about ourselves or to promote a spiritual arrogance within us. If they do anything other than humble us, we're doing them wrong. They are here to free us from the fear of appearing foolish. And in a world where we have to seem like we have it all together, anyone know the weight of that? Know what I'm talking about? It's freeing to think that you can trust Jesus in the inner strength that comes by his spirit and the truth that he's given to us as a gift, that we don't have to worry about what other people think. We can solely worry about what he thinks of us. Amen. So in second, in Galatians five, Paul wrote it like this. He says, I say, then walk by the spirit or submit to the spirit. And you will certainly not carry out the desires Of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the spirit, and the spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other so that you do not do what you want to do. Every time I read this, every time I read this, I think of my grandmother who who taught me. I was not raised in church, but I there's a kind of a reason I wasn't raised in church. She used to look at me every night and go, Read your Bible, say your prayers. Okay? Anyone ever heard anyone have a grandma like this? Read your Bible, say your prayers. Okay, it was very, very good what she said, but demonstrative, kind of like um, if you've ever been to East Tennessee and you've ever been in a, a worship service in East Tennessee and you hear that angry, amen, you know what I'm saying? You know what I'm talking about? Like that, like demonstrative, like read your Bible, say your prayers. And so I had no desire within me to read my Bible, though I knew it might be good for me, I didn't desire to do it. Anyone else know what I'm talking about? Anyone? know it's a thing you should do, but you don't necessarily want to do it. Hands raised. Let's just make sure we're all in the same conversation. Okay, so Paul goes on to explain what naturally comes from us. Let me be clear. This doesn't just naturally come from your neighbor or your spouse or the person you like least in this room. This comes from me. This is what naturally comes forth from you. It says, now the works of the flesh are obvious sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatreds, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar to the things just listed. I'm warning you about these things, as I warned you before, for that those who practice such things will never inherit the kingdom of God. And as you look at that list, one thing that I want to say is, like, you may go, well, I don't, I don't do half those things. Amen. Okay? And you have to evaluate what he's actually saying here. Think about what is embedded in us naturally. Anyone here ever been jealous of another? Anyone here ever envied? That's what he's talking about. He's not talking necessarily about the practice that comes out. He's talking about the heart that comes behind the practice. Remember, we were told it's not that we practice such evils, even if we think it. It's as we're guilty of performing. So what he wants to see change in us... ...is a mindset so that we can produce supernatural fruit at the heart of who we are. David wrote it, and we'll look at that in a moment. He said, I write your word upon my heart that I may not sin against you. And the way David is teaching is he says, I write this on the very bow of my person. There is no deeper depth. It goes to the very heart or the soul of who I am. I need this to be in me. And that doesn't get in me by cramming. That gets in me by meditating. And so, so it's saying you have a natural tendency, we all do, in order to prove the opposite, we have to trust Him. And it says these are not practices that you can just start to work on. You don't just begin to produce the fruit of the Spirit and fight against the fruit of the flesh. He said this, walk by the Spirit or submit your life to the Spirit of God. Decide that He's more important than, than your ways, Decide, his desire and his name is more important than yours. When you do this, these supernatural things will naturally come forth from our lives, the fruit of the Spirit, versus the things that are natural. But we have to make that conscious decision and commit. He says this, the works of the fruit of the Spirit are this, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I know that you've heard this. You've probably sung it before. Okay. It says the law is not against such things. For those who belong to Christ Jesus have been have crucified the flesh which is passions and its desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit, not getting ahead, not getting behind, doing exactly as he leads and guides. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another or envying one another. What he's saying is this again, do not allow the practice of things that are righteous by allowing the fruit to come forth from you to produce spiritual arrogance within you. It's very it's very good. In fact, I was talking with my my kids last night as we gathered around the table for Sabbath ourselves, and the the passage that jumped out at me that I wanted to list to them is found in Psalm 6. How many of you know and I've said it that that we're known more for what divides us, than unites us as a people, right? Well, how many of you also know that we probably talk less about what God hates and more about what God loves? In scripture, it says the Lord hates these things. Look at this, verse six, or sorry, chapter six of, of oh, sorry, wrong passage. I'm thinking Proverbs six. Let me go there. I even marked it wrong in my Bible. Good, here we go. The Lord hates six things. In fact, seven are detestable to him. Arrogant eyes. You know what I'm talking about? Arrogant eyes. When you have a spiritual arrogance or you feel you know more than someone else, you judge the person to your left or right. You know what I'm talking about? Arrogant eyes. Anyone ever experienced arrogant eyes where you've been judged? Someone looks down their nose at you? No one? Okay, it's just me. All right. So... So arrogant eyes, the Lord detests arrogant eyes. He detests a lying tongue. This is talking about like little white lies, the things that you can say to get yourself out of trouble and excuse yourself from future condemnation that you're not even sure of, but the kind that are, require more lies to build upon just to keep that one. Anyone else know what I'm talking about? Nope, just me? Okay. So he hates the lying tongue. He hates hands that shed innocent blood. Self-explanatory. A heart that plods wicked schemes. Wow. You know, in Matthew 5, it says, pray for those and pray for those who would uh, spitefully use you. That's what he's talking about here. He says, love your enemies to the point where you pray for them. And he says, I hate that they plot wicked schemes, but I want you to love them. Man, that's, how many of you just raise your hand and said, that's not natural? Okay. That's supernatural. Feet eager to run to evil. What does that mean? You have a tendency to run to your flesh. He says when you're eager to run to your flesh. And the fruit thereof hates that. A lying witness who gives false testimony when you slander someone else. And lastly, one who stirs up trouble between brothers. One who's divisive, dissension. Everything we just read in the fruit of the flesh, things that naturally come forth of us, seven things he says I hate, and here's how they come on practice. But the thing that's beautiful about that, each of those things that were listed there in the Proverbs are clearly are clearly the opposite. If he hates a lying tongue, what? Tell the truth. If he hates division, then what? Be one who unifies. See, there's something to do. It's not natural for us, but there's something that we can do to answer. In Hebrews 4, it says this, "'For the word of God is living and effective, sharper than a double-edged sword.'" penetrating as far as the separation of the soul and the spirits, the joints and the marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden from him, but all things, listen, I love this, are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. So since we're called to uh, produce spiritual fruit, and we cannot do that in and of ourselves, as Jesus told us in John 15, we must rely on the scriptures to reveal to us to lead us, to guide us towards relinquishing our own flesh. We've, how many of you have ever looked into the Scriptures and it's revealed to you the thing that's like needs to be confessed, the place you need to repent already? You've become convicted. Okay, It says we must rely on Him so that we can allow the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God to be seen in our lives. If we don't open the Scripture, allow ourselves to see that, allow ourselves to repent of that, then our friends who do not know the Lord shouldn't have much hope. James, the half brother Jesus said it rather succinctly like this in James 1, verse 22 Be doers of the word, not hearers only. Listen to this, this is really important. We jump over this too much. Deceiving yourselves. Before I read on, he's saying it's never enough to just show up for an hour or two every Sunday, listen to the word. And then expect to live that out. If you're not reinforcing that on your own, by yourself, reinforcing the very word of God that has been taught when you gather for worship on a day of worship. If you're not reinforcing that in your day, if you're not allowing that counsel into your life on the regular look, it's not going to come forth from you. He goes on and he says, Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like one who's looking at his own face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of person he actually is. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it and is not forgetful. not a forgetful hearer, but a doer who works. This person will be blessed in what he does. How many of you got up this morning and you noticed a couple more wrinkles, maybe a couple bags into your eyes, you uh, or your partner, maybe your spouse? Smelt that stank breath, saw that nasty hair, saw the years just revealing themselves. What if, ladies, we said, hey, today, no makeup? How many of you angst would well up? No? All right, cool. I love that. Here's the thing. We don't get up in the morning, look into the mirror, and go perfect and walk out. (laughs) We don't do that. I know we don't do that. So he's saying when we look into the Scriptures... We should see our lack, our frailty, our falseness, the places where we're imperfect. Because he gave us his text, as we read in 2 Timothy, that we might we might be able to be completed for every good work. Sometimes, I believe, it gets a little lost in translation, though. He asked that we would not be forgetful. To help illustrate this point, I'd like to use a clip from this viral video that uh, has been circulating. Maybe you've seen it. It's been... It's been uh, in my household, my wife, my kids, for me. We've been tickled over this for weeks. Okay, it's amazing. Watch this video. We'll come back in a second. I, I want, want ice cream. Come no. Come no. Say Delta. I eat. Eat. Ice cream. Come no. <laughs> Say ice. Ice. Cream. Kids. Say I, I want what? ice cream. Gants, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> ice ice cream Gant. Ice cream. Gants, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> see you see, like Delta, we can memorize. We can memorize something. We can cram it, but apart from meditating on it it can come out all jumbled. You can actually memorize incorrectly. See, did you notice she kept saying the same thing, even though I don't know what she was saying. And, and my wife and I, we're not sure our kids are trying to say, we don't know if this is deliberate or on accident, but when her dad slows down and he like tells her precisely what he wants to say, gives it in palatable doses, it's like shores it up, slows it down. She can repeat exactly what he is saying and she does exactly what he wants. But when he allows her just to go for it on her own, it comes out all jumbled, right? And so again, I don't know if it's deliberate or an accident, but it kind of looks like our own lives. When God gives it to us in short, slow and palatable pieces, we can begin to think on it and even indoctrinate it. But how many of you have ever experienced the circumstances of the world around you, the height of potential your downfall? How many of you have ever felt the angst that led you to lie when you should have told the truth? You felt like, I'm going to be in trouble, so I'm going to avoid this. And God says, hey, I hate a lying tongue. I want you to tell the truth. But when push came to shove and life happened, you felt the heat under your collar and you knew what to do, but you just didn't do it. It came out all jumbled, right? Now, how many of you have ever, and I'm, I'm going to say this, I, I'm not someone who, who can memorize every uh, address for a scripture. I can know a scripture. I know what it's saying, the gist succinctly, but I, I may mess up the, the location. You know what I'm talking about? Know that? Or I may not say it word for word. God's not looking for us to necessarily do that, He wants us to know his scripture and put it inside us. In fact, one of my mentors used to say it like this. For every year that you've been on the planet, you should be able to quote a scripture. That means I'm 41. So I should have 41 scriptures committed to memory based on what my mentor says as a minimum. You see, Paul said it like this in Romans 7. For the desire to do what is good is with me, but there's no ability to do it. For I do... Not do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil that I do not want. How do we combat this tendency? How do we change and, and produce spiritual fruit that isn't natural to us, but it is to God? It, how do we let His life be shown through us? How do we get out of the way? How do we actually quote Scripture accurately if we're not in it? I'd say this. We cannot accurately apart from knowing what the Lord wants... And by using the tool or gift that he gave us, he provided to us in the scriptures. So David said in the scriptures in this following prayer from Psalm 119, he said this. Psalm 119, and I think it's an excellent place to start. He said this How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping your word. I have sought you with all my heart. Don't let me wander from your commands. I have treasured your word in my heart so that I may not sin against you. Lord, may you be blessed, teach your statutes. With my lips, I proclaim all the judgments from your mouth. I rejoice in the way revealed by your decrees as much as in all riches. And I will meditate on your precepts to think on your ways. I will delight in your statutes and I will not forget your word. This is that place that I was referring to where where he says, I write your word on my heart that I may not sin against you. I embed it into my very being. So much so, I love this, that I, I yearn for your decrees more than I do all riches. Is that us? I yearn for the truth of the Lord more than I do all riches. David's saying we have a tendency to wander and go back to our natural tendency, but we need to memorize meditate on scripture in order to keep our way and our intention before the Lord pure because in our natural state, it isn't. So I want to get into a text today. 2 Timothy 3, I want to go further with the text that I just mentioned uh, at the beginning of the sermon and teach it in context. It says, in fact, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Verse 12 starts right there. All who want to live a godly life in Jesus will be persecuted. Evil people and impostors will become worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you've learned and firmly believed. You know those who taught you and you know from infancy, uh, you've known the sacred scriptures which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training and righteousness so that... The man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. So here's that point I told you we'd have. We need to memorize and meditate on Scripture so that it embeds in who we are. I want to be clear. How many of you have ever crammed for a test? How many of you were taught to, and this is not a slam, please hear me. But you've ever been taught to cram, whether through Bible quiz bowl, VBS, you were taught to cram for Scripture. And, and I got to say, that that committed to short-term memory so that you could pass the test, it doesn't do much for your long-term application. How many of you have ever seen someone who did that and, uh, and they go, man, I know the Bible. Man, shoot, I know all of it. Really? I've had people actually tell me, this, yeah, I know the whole Bible. Really? That's impressive. Yeah, man, it says in first hesitations, you know. And then misquote stuff and say, no, it's second flesh you know, like this is, it's embarrassing and we laugh, but unfortunately, I think more of the church falls in this camp than we would like to admit. Let me ask you this. I don't know how old you are at when I say three count. Just everyone yell out your age. Okay. One, two, three. Okay. I got that. All of them. All right. Heard them clearly. Here's what I want. How many of you do know at least one scripture for every year you've been on the planet? So that if you were asked, you could could give that away. The reason I ask that is because it says if you want to live a godly life and produce spiritual fruit, you need to be meditating on scripture. This is what Paul's telling Timothy. If you want to live a godly life, the only thing that is certain is persecution. It's going to come against you. Your flesh and the world that feeds your flesh around you. Everyone is about self-seekingness. And it's all about you. Is going to come against that. The only way to combat that is with Scripture. We live in a world that's self-seeking. Where the fruit of the flesh is like pronounced. But we also live in a deceitful world. A place where identity theft has got us all running rampant. The dark web... People uh, taking us by spam mail. You know what I'm talking about? How many of you have been trained in work it's on spam mail? Yeah, absolutely. It's constantly teaching us to be skeptical because there's someone out there trying to get one over us. In John 10, it says that the thief comes and that, that he seeks to steal, kill, and destroy from you. The world is subject to that one, the enemy, who wants to take from each of us but you have this confidence to navigate a world like that. You have this undergirding when you trust that God is sovereignly in control and you look at the scripture and the truth that taught you that. It undergirds you when, when you may look weak on the external, but interiorly you have the grip of God by the power of the Holy Spirit and it's fed regularly by his word. When we submit to that, we produce this patience that the world doesn't have naturally. We produce this kindness that the world doesn't have naturally. We produce long-suffering that the world doesn't have naturally. I don't have it naturally. Anyone here have patience naturally? Anyone ever driven a car here? Anyone here ever been told not to pray for patience? Do you know why? Because God doesn't just download patience to go, There you go, got it. You know, God, I'm dealing with this seven-year-old who's frantic. I need peace. Boom, got it. What does he do? He gives you opportunity to build in every aspect fruit, peace, patience, kindness. You will be challenged. And so the only thing that gives us any confidence in the world to navigate a world of lies is the truth. And the only thing, and everyone seems to want authority today. Let me say that. Let me throw it out. We all seemingly want authority. A Few people want responsibility. All want authority. The only thing that gives you authority is your knowledge of Scripture and the fruit you bear. The only thing that gives you any sort of spiritual authority the knowledge of Scripture you have and the fruit you bear. To withstand certain persecution and deceit, the only way you can do it is if you have the truth to combat these lies. So I want to talk about five lies. I want you to raise your hand when I say the one that has a tendency to be your one. There's a trigger. It's kind of overarching. It's an umbrella. People can say it a myriad of ways, but it's this one. How many of you know the lie personally that you'll be forgotten? Okay. Let me just say them all. And I know you're going to hit with one or two, maybe more than that, but we live in a world of lies that are all about robbing us from value and they're sent from the father of all lies. So how many of you... Struggle with feeling like you'll be forgotten? How many of you struggle with fault? It's your fault. What's my fault? Everything. How many of you struggle with, is this even real? I show up at this church all the time. I show up in these places of spirituality, but is this even real? And you go, and the thing is, I'm afraid to admit that out loud to other people because they might think I don't know him, but I face this lie all the time. When I'm quiet by myself, he speaks this to me and I go, is this real? How many of you the lie is that you're just not good enough? Or how many of you the lie is, hey, I'll be there for everybody, but in the end, no one will be there for me. Raise your hand if you identify with any one of those five lies. Keep them raised if you identify with more than one. How are you to navigate a world of deceit in a place where you're being told those things all the time without the truth? How can we even begin to stand on two legs? In 2 Timothy 4, I just want to read on real quick. It says, verse 1, I solemnly charge you before God in Christ Jesus, who is going to be the judge of the living and the dead, and because of his appearing in his kingdom, to preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season to rebuke, correct, encourage With great patience and teaching for the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to themselves, their own desires will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. Let me just, do we not live in that day right now? Does everyone not see that's where we are? People hear what they want; they will turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside to miss. but as for you, exercise self control fruit of the spirit, and in everything, endure hardship, do the work and evangelist to fulfill your ministry. Why he says, because this is given to God, given to us as a gift by God himself and is for our good. It is to grow us towards righteousness and completeness, our lack. Let me say this statement, and I, I need you maybe to write it down, and you just sit on it, and you think it, let it embed in who you are. How many of you have ever lacked a desire to get into the word? Raise your hands. Lightning will not strike. Okay, We're just being honest. It's good. I'm like, I just don't want to. I know I should, I just don't want to. It's like my grandmother trying to say, "Read your Bible. Demonstrative. Maybe your lack of desire to get into the word is because you are feasting and you are gorging yourself on the world. Church, listen. Maybe the reason you lack a desire to feast on the word of God is because you are gorging yourself on the slop the world is throwing you. The lies and all of the deceit and everything with it. He says that we need to be able to do this so that we can be ready to preach. You may never be called to preach like this, like I am, but you may be called to give an account. And quite honestly, it may never even be verbal because you didn't earn the right by the way you live. People don't see in you a patience, long-suffering. They don't see in you a spiritual fruit, so they never even ask. Listen, if they don't ask, that's dangerous. If people don't ask and see a difference of joy, love, kindness within the church, that's, a, that's dangerous. That's dangerous. They should see the fruit of Jesus coming forth from our lives by the power of the Spirit. In fact, i got to tell you, I wasn't led to Jesus by a pastor. I was led to Jesus by a shortstop. I was led to Jesus because He looked different and engaged my mind and led me to ask questions where He could preach to me and open the door. You may be asked to give an account. But let me ask you, how many of you ever saw the uh, end of that movie, The Book of Eli? This is another question that mentor who looked at me and said, you should be able to memorize and give away a scripture for every year you've been on the planet. He also said this, what if, Justin, what if they took the Bible tomorrow? What if they took it away? What if it was burned? What if it was concealed? What it was locked? What if this gift was taken from us and we didn't have it? How many of you remember that picture, the end of the book of Eli, where he is laying down, reciting every word from beginning to end, cover to cover, the word of God and gave it away? So that it could be reproduced, probably illegally, and given to future generations. We have a call to make disciples. And that's never going away. As long as we live here, we are called to live as Christ and to die as gain. As long as we're here, we're to make disciples and lead the future generations. So let me ask you, could you do that? I cannot. I can't. I can't give away the scripture. If it was taken away from me tomorrow, I don't have it memorized cover to cover to give it away. Now you say, dude, that seems impossible. Let me be clear with you. I'm not saying that we have to do that. But 13-year-old boys in a Jewish culture had the first five books of the Bible memorized word for word. It can be done. In fact, those who were like Paul, the one I quoted the most today, he memorized the entire Old Testament word word. For word, historical, the prophetic, and the Pentateuch. You got to think about this. It is possible. I want to see a bigger question. How many of us believe that if God entrusted this church because the word of God, the gift of that was taken tomorrow for some reason, for whatever reason, that we together could collectively put it back together? We could collectively, let's add the Two Rivers campus. We as a church could collectively put it back together from memory because we have ingested it so much. We have meditated on it so much. It may come out a little bit like paraphrase, but we'll teach it accurately in the gist that it was intended to so that we could navigate a world of lies. How many of us could do that? Could we corporately do that? And I fear because we see it as so daunting, the answer is no. No. This should inspire us. Let me ask you this. If you're today asked at this altar today, someone said, hey, I want to know what it means to follow Jesus. I want to know what it means to trust him as my Savior and Lord. As I've heard the Bible say, can you show me scripturally how that happens? How many of us can do that? From memory, right there on the spot. This is why meditation on the scripture and memorizing things to memory is important It's because future generations and disciples that are yet to come are counting on the church to do it. And we cannot expect the fruit, supernatural fruit, to come forth from our lives if we're not creating opportunity like that trellis to let the vine speak to us. We can't navigate a world of lies that we all raise our hand to without the truth to fight it and cut away our flesh. So, Father, this morning we come and we say thank you for your word. We thank you for the beauty of your word, the gift of your word. We thank you that you desire to speak to us and speak through us to the world. This morning I want to say as we come to a time of close and invitation, God, may you remind us of the precious gift of your word. And I pray that we would be inspired, God, convicted to get into your word that we might know the truth to anchor us through a world of lies. But this morning, as we respond to you, our act of obedience, our response, I pray that it would be that we come to your table. And yet again, thank you for what you've done in giving us, Jesus, and in giving us the richness of text so that we can know exactly what you want, exactly what you desire from us. And we're, we're not left to guess. Jesus, you loved us enough to give us the truth and God, you've asked us to live the truth. As the people of God, I pray right now in this moment, you would stir by the power of your spirit, the one that inspired that very text. And God, you would move on us to repent of being people who denied the gift of your word and we ingest it. And may we embed it in who we are by meditating on it. And may we look more like you because we do. In Jesus' name, amen.